23. I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. My text will really be from verse 14, but we have read the verses before, and we need not read them again. Last Sabbath I spoke to you about the spiritual enemies of the Church of Christ, the Church as a whole, and the people of God as individuals. Now I spoke to you not so much about the world, or about the depraved heart, which every one of us has, but about the invisible spirits that surround us, which belong to the other world. About the supernatural force that we have. And I'm not going to refer to that much today, for the benefit of those who might not have been here last Sabbath, I spoke from Ephesians chapter 6 about the spiritual principalities in heavenly places that war against the Church of Christ. And I told you that these meant the supernatural spirits, the fears of the pit, in which there is an order a gradation of order, a hierarchy, some higher than others, but they all have one purpose, to fight against the Church of God. Well, enough about that, I spoke about it last Sabbath. Now, this Christian warfare, which I want to speak to you a little today again, it's an inward experience for every true Christian. Now, if you and I are Christians, we know what it is for sin to war against us. And we know also what it is for us to war against sin. And that is always true of Christians. There are many things that, in which Christians differ, many opinions uh, about which they differ, uh, regarding denominations and various things, but there is one thing on which they are all agreed, and that is that they are conscious of the motions of sin within them that they are also conscious of a higher power than themselves resisting these motions of sin. Every Christian is conscious of that. Now, I may liken a Christian to a person who has ties in his bosom. That is the depraved heart that is in his own. 
Now that would be bad enough in itself, and enough to consume us. But there is far worse than that to be said. When you have a fire, it may be slow burning, until you use the bellows to blow it up. Now there are devilish bellows, stirring up the inward lust that is in us. And these are the spiritual principalities and powers in heavenly places that I was talking to you about last night. They don't leave us alone. They don't leave us even to the depraved heart. And that's enough. But they come and they add impetus to the motions of sin which is in ourselves and they make matters a thousand times worse. So that this is really the Christian warfare inwardly. He's warring against these spirits that are at work upon themselves. Spirits, passions, and lusts, and warring against the law of his mind. Now, first of all, we are here, and probably many of you will be surprised at my first heading. We are here a matter of comfort. Don't you see, how can any man derive comfort from the fact that he is wretched, miserable? Doesn't even the apostle say when he talks about these things, Oh, wretched man that I am. Yes, he does. What comfort then is to be derived from the fact that you have this warfare in your heart? And I may say, as I speak of this, that it is very likely that every Christian in my hearing today thinks that he has the worst warfare of all inside him. I am positive that you think that I haven't got the kind of thoughts, the kind of bad thoughts that you have. I'm at the person sitting beside you, if he's a Christian, that he hasn't got the kind of evil thoughts that you have. I'm positive that you think like that. I'm sure that you think that you have the worst thoughts that could come into anybody's mind. Well, I also think that about myself. I am quite positive that there's not one person inside the church that has such evil thoughts as I have. But then, when we say that, this is a Christian experience, this is what we all think. Whether it be true or not, I don't know. But this is what we think. Now, what is the comfort to be designed? The comfort is this, that the dead have no feeling, they have no experience at all, either good or bad. And when a person is dead in trespasses and sins, he has no experience of the motions of sin. It's only when he's made alive that he gets that experience. Now this is the comfort, friend, 
if you are one of those people who is troubled by sin, by evil thoughts, corrupt thoughts, one who is conscious that there is a power working upon you sometimes, other than yourself, a spiritual principality, wicked spirits that are at work upon you instilling thoughts into your mind that would not be there if they were not suggested. And you're left wretched and miserable and you say, well, if there's nobody in the world like me, I say this to you, you have these things, these thoughts, and that experience, because you are a child of God. And there isn't a more sure mark of a child of God from one end of the Bible to the other than that very thing. You may remember a time in your life, unless you were converted very young, or these things did not trouble you. Your thoughts were just as evil as they are today. But they didn't cause you any concern. Nobody knew about them anyway. And it was nobody's business, and you delighted in them. The more evil they were, very often, the more you delighted in them. The realm of your imagination, in its corruption, brought you tremendous delight. Now it's the other way about. Well, why then, when nobody sees what goes on within your heart, why are you so troubled about it? Because you know it is against God. And so then, you have this discomfort. Because you are alive, for the dead have no discomfort. But you have your living soul. Now, another thing I might say to you is this, that it is far better to have the severest temptations from the devil than to have no temptation at all, than to be insensitive to the temptations of the devil. Was it not Trafeskin who said that there is no devil worse uh, than no devil? And this is quite true. For you left alone, there is something wrong. If you have anything in you worthwhile for the devil to tempt, then he'll tempt you. You see, in the days, in the, in the old days when pirates rode the sea, Macdon uses this illustration, Macdon, one of the Puritans, uses the illustration. He says that if there was a ship coming across the sea with a cargo of tinted, the pirates, men like Blackbeard, people like these, they wouldn't bother with them at all. They would leave them well alone. But if there was a Spanish galleon coming from South uh, America, laden with gold and jewels, they would go after that one. And so, my friends, if you have the jewels of the grace of God in your heart, then the pirates of hell will be after you. They'll be after you all the time. They'll never give you respite. They'll be always after you. So then, this is a matter of comfort for you. So as the experience is. And another thing I would say is this. Don't you complain about these things to God. Don't ask them to be taken away. If you do, the day may come when you would gladly have your warfare back rather than be sensitive to evil thoughts and to your corruptions and to the temptations of the devil. Oh friends, 
don't want to get rid of them as long as you need. Always ask God to keep you so sensitive of sin that it shall trouble you even in its faintest motion. But if you complain, God might leave you and you might be left and become insensitive and lie down in a false peace. And that is not a proper situation for the Christian. Well now, another thing about this experience is that Paul consented all the time to the law of God that it was holy and just and good. Yet no, no, no converted man can say that. You think of it. The law that stirred up the sin in him, the law that condemned him for a sin. He goes back to that law and he says the law is holy and the commandment is holy and just and good. Although the law was condemning himself for his sins, the law he said is holy and just and good. Now can you say that? In other words, can you find any fault in God? Or with the law of God? The law of God condemns you. If the law of God pierces your conscience, is the Lord for that? But what do you say? The Lord's holy and just and good. Well, my friends, I'm sure there was a day when you wouldn't say that about the law of God. You found fault with the law. You found fault with it for being too strict. You found fault with it because it uh, referred uh, to the realm of your thought as well as to the realm of your action. But now we say the law is holy and just and good. Now let's come to the warfare itself, to the experience described. Paul says about it, I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind. Now I'm not going to go into the various contradictions that I've been held about this part of scripture because I don't think that is really profitable or necessary in a sermon like this. A lot of people have made out that this was Paul's description of himself in his inconverted days. And there is at present a series of sermons coming into circulation in which the author has a clear opinion in which he postulates that Paul was neither converted nor unconverted uh, when he describes this experience. But he describes an experience that he had during a period of conviction, before his conviction, but the fact that he had been awakened. Now, as far as we can see, this just does not The general consensus of opinion, the opinion among reformed theologians is that this experience really doesn't need to create any contradiction. That it is so personal to every believing uh, sinner that there is no difficulty about it. So you read it for yourself and you can see. Christian, 
it is. It reflects what goes on in your own mind from time to time, from day to day. Now then, we see that in this world, therefore, was conscious of another law at work upon its mind. That is the law of nature. He doesn't disavow his own responsibility when he says, yet not die, but sin that is in me. It is not a disavowal of his own uh, identity with sin or of his own responsibility for sin. He doesn't mean that. He doesn't mean that he is not sinning. Of course he is sinning. When you have an evil thought, you are the sinners. You can't think of sinning enough that way. You and I, we are the sinners then. But the point is that this sin, part of which is in ourselves, and part of which comes from without, is dissociated from us in a certain sense. Yet not I. It is not my better sin. It is my law sin. It is sin in me. But I have another law warring against that law. We shall speak of that in a moment. Now this law which he finds in his which he found in his mind, warning which he found in his members warring against the law of his mind, the law of sin, assisted by these supernatural powers that I spoke about, has different degrees of intensity. It's not the same every day. Sometimes, I don't know if I should say this or not. I don't know. I hope you will not misunderstand me. Sometimes I feel that this law of sin can be dormant. I believe that heaven can enjoy such communion with Christ. I can believe that a Christian can be so happy in the Lord that there are times when he even forgets, when he's not conscious of the fact that there is sin in him. I fully, I, I fully believe that. And I've always been of the opinion that this, uh, that this view put forward by John Wesley of perfectionism has been a little bit misunderstood. I always found it difficult that a preacher like John Wesley really preached that a person could be perfect without any sin at all. But John Wesley was a man who lived near to his God, exceptionally near. And I believe that John Wesley enjoyed so much of communion with Jesus Christ that there were times when he was altogether unconscious of the motions of sin in his flesh. And we have times like that too, but they didn't last very long. We had times when we became oblivious that we were in the world. We became oblivious of every evil thing. And we were just like the disciples with Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration, having faith in you of Christ in his glory. And we forgot about everything else. We didn't care about anything else. It was Christ and nothing but Christ us all the time. Now that's what leads me to say that I do believe that at times this uh, law, this evil law can at times be dormant and God in his mercy, God in his mercy forbids the adversary to tempt us in these particular times.
and then like the waves of the sea, even if there is a calmness like that, soon the rhythm begins. And there are various degrees of intensity. Sometimes the waves move and heal, greater and lesser, more, less. And you know what this is. You have your days of comparative peace. You have your days of turmoil. And so it goes on. But you're conscious of the motions of sin. And then there are times when this law, like the fury of the Atlantic in a northwesterly, with a northwesterly wind, it rages furiously, as if it would carry everything before it, as if it would smash through the rocks, as if it would take you away from your very foundations. Yes, friends, during the pilgrim's progress, we find something about this. John Bunyan was not at all ignorant of these things. And he had tried times. He had times when he warred with Apollyon. He had times when he had to resist not only his own propensity to go back, not only that he had to master his own fear of the lions and of the adversaries that faced him, but he had times when he was conscious of the fears of and worked upon his mind, and these were the most high experiences that he had. And you know there are surprises of sin, what I may call the surprises of sin. Show me a Christian here today who's been one for twenty years or more. And let us ask him the question. Would you have believed 20 years ago that there was so much corruption in your mind as you know today that it is? And I know that your answer is no, I would not. And this is what I call the surprises of sin. And I want to tell you who are young Christians here today, I will not be with you when you grow old, but wherever you will be, Remember what I'm saying to you today, that sin is going to give you the most terrible surprises that you've ever got. You think you're conscious of evil thoughts today, but if you're living 20 years, 30 years from today, you'll get the biggest surprises of your life. And the nearer you're getting to your grave, the greater the surprises seem to be. Surprises of sin, new sins. All sins coming with fresh power and with new force. These are the surprises of sin. And they come into your heart. say like one of all, astonished and distressed, I turned my eyes within. My heart with loads the priest, the feet of everything. What crowds of evil thoughts, he says, what vile affections there, envy and pride, deceit and guile, distress and sin. 
gave I am sold unto sin. Sold unto sin. As he said, I am subject to an alien power. A power that is stronger than myself, infinitely stronger than myself. I am given to this thing. I resolve that I won't be, but I will give it to this thing. He says, I would not. I would not be like this. In other words, he says, I determine that I will not be like this. I determine not. But in spite of his determination, he is like that. Dear Lord, says someone, and shall we ever live at this poor dying rate? Our love is of hate, so cold to thee, and thine to us, so great. Well, there is one comfort in all that. I will mention it to you. I don't want to keep you much longer, but it is an interesting theme from the experimental point of view. So the point of view subjective religion. John Bunyan, to whose works I often prefer you, especially to the Pilgrim's Progress. Do you remember that it tells of a man called Mr. Feeble Mind? Well, feeble mind wasn't a strong Christian. He was always doubting and he was always afraid. And one day he was caught by giant slaygood. And giant slaygood showed no mercy to anyone. And then he told Mr. Feeble mind that he was going to be killed, I think, on the morrow and that he was going to pick all the flesh of the bones and eat them. And the poor man in his feeble mind was trembling until he remembered. He remembered, he was comforted by the fact that giant slaygood never picked the bones of anyone who was taken into his castle against his will. And that's the very thing that Paul says here. I delight in the law of God after the end of the man. The evil that I do, I would not. I am determined I won't do it. But it overcomes me. When I go into a passion, into evil temper, I determine I'll never do it again. But I find another law. When I am Lawful and reluctant to pray, I determine that I will never do it again. But I am conquered. He built against your will, friend. A giant slave good will never pick the flesh of your bones because it's against your will. What more can I tell you? Well, then, have we got a hate to sin? And our love to holiness. Are we sure? Are we quite sure that we don't mistake either to these? There are sins, but everybody here is. There are sins and there are people, all the people in my congregation today. Every one of you, there are sins and you wouldn't do them for a million pounds. I know that. But what I am 
mean by hatred to sin? Do you hate the very essence of it? Do you hate the very nature of it? Do you hate the origin of it? Do you hate sin in every aspect of it? Not particular sin, not certain kinds of sin, but sin itself, this evil wicked thing. Do you hate it? And do you not hold it? Not aspects of it, but the whole not holding it. Do you not? Well, friends, if you do, then you are like Paul, and you will find the consolation in these words of Romans chapter 7. And I'm not sorry for you at all for being in this warfare. Miserable though it may be, and there is no discharge in it. You cannot get rid of it until your dying day. But I do feel sorry for those who live in sin, the Christless souls, who, although there is a war going on, against them and they've been conquered. There is no power within them from above to resist the evil. These are people to be May God bless to us all meditation. O Lord, we would pray with another. Almighty King of Saints, these tyrant love Drive the old serpent from his feet, and all our powers renew. May we be given grace day by day to resist all evil, and may we be among those who will one day quit their armor and enter into that place where there is no sin, no sorrow, no death. Psalm 41 from verse 11, Psalm 41 from verse 11, to the tombs and darkness stand. By this I know that certainly I favored and by because my hateful enemy triumphs not over me. Psalm 41. At verse 11 to the end of the psalm, to the Jews of Lancaster.
Vater, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all.